0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm.
1: Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw at the Trilon Cinema or people we met there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis, and you can find me at Nintendoofus.
2: I'm Harry. You can find me at shiitake Harry. I'm Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH.
1: Uh, we're operating with a skeleton crew here. Uh, the Juniper three, so to speak. Um, we're going to be covering a film called Juniper tree. Excuse me. The Juniper tree by, Oh, I'm going to edit this out because I'm going to forget. Cause I've already forgotten her name. Um,
0: it is. Nich- Nichika Keen. Nichika Keen. Yeah.
1: Okay, I might not edit that out then. That was a point of uh, humanity, humanity, humility, and fragility that uh, I think we really want to bring through in, with these our podcast, trying times. in these trying times. Um, Amen. Which is going to be an aspect of our discussion today, fortunately yeah. or unfortunately. We're talking about The Juniper Tree, a 1990 uh, Icelandic film directed by um, uh, that woman we just, Nietzsche... Um, Nietzsche Keen. Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Kien, Uh who, if you might have been able to tell, I have not heard of prior to... Uh, watching this film, it was recommended um, based on the uh, proximity to the end of its run with the Criterion Channel. Uh, it is—I don't know if by the end, of, by the time that this um, episode comes out, you'll still be able to watch it there. But uh, know, know that uh, what what you once uh, had access to is is now gone. Uh, everything you love dies. You do not have a home. Um, and wherever you try to find it will be taken from you swiftly by the people you think are closest to you and love you most. Uh, That is my review. You've internalized the
0: themes of this movie.
1: I think I've pretty heavily internalized the themes of this movie. And the Um, themes of
0: our times, perhaps. So this...
1: I don't know the tale upon which this movie is based, but according to the director herself, it is based on a Grimm's fairy tale, uh, though it's not originally set in Iceland and some other aspects of it. You know, it was a stepmom, not a sister. It was, um, you know, a brother, not a son, some, you know, familiar switch-ups uh, to better suit the themes that of the story that she wanted to tell. Uh, but overall, it is inspired by a classic Grimm's fairy tale. Um, I didn't put together a great summary, but essentially uh, two witches... Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you... Sorry.
0: Uh, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, please. Um, so uh, it basically the, the story of the juniper tree is it's the story of two sisters, uh, Margaret played by Bjork um, and Katla prayed, played by, and I'm going to butcher this because I, I'm terrible at Icelandic pronunciation, please, but please it's, go off. King. Uh, Brindis Petra. Uh, I think Ooh. is probably how you pronounce that um, and and again I'm probably wrong but uh, they're escaping from um, a village that they've been run out of after their mother was um, stoned and burned to death for witchcraft um, and sort of in their desperation um, Katla says that she's going to find a husband and seduce him ostensibly through magic um, the movie's connection to magic is, is um, sort of it's one of my favorite ambiguous. things about the movie. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, so she finds uh Johan, a young widower around her age who also has uh, a son and uses her powers to seduce him, and they all start living together on his sort of small farmstead out in the country. However, uh Jonas, or Jonas, maybe probably Jonas. They all um, pronounce it Jonas, yeah. Jonas, uh Johan, or Johan's son, um is has trouble accepting um, Katla and under the idea that that she is a witch who is attempting to um destroy his mother's memory um his dead mother's memory and sort of supplant and replace her in their homestead uh, and that introduces the sort of central conflict that plays out here is uh cat Katla and um, Margaret attempting to make this new home for themselves with johan well uh Jonas struggles to accept them um it's a really good jumping-off point for yeah. um, really uh, well humanized interpersonal conflicts. I think. Uh, sorry, yeah. that's a little bit of editorializing at the end of the summary. I'm not. Airing.
1: Hey, you, I was going to say you took notes from the best. Um, I think that, that that's obviously a great point to bring up regard or great like summary of the plot, but it also sets up the um, some of the dynamics that I found interesting about the film, wherein like it. The further and the closer and closer uh, Johan or sorry, Johas gets to uh, revealing, I guess. I mean, there are a lot of points you could start to talk about this movie from even though it's so simple. Uh, Essentially, like you get the feeling partway through the movie that Johan, the father, knows or at least internally knows that uh, Katla and Margit are. Are uh, are I mean they're they're witches. They they practice witchcraft. They the way that they found uh, the way that they found this this pair was through witchcraft. The way that they've uh, one of my favorite things about the beginning of this movie is that um, they uh, she Katla says to Margit after you know while they're sort of wandering driftless or drifting and wandering aimlessly through the um, Icelandic uh, cliffs is that she'll ride around a man three times on her horse to bind his heart to hers. Uh, this movie plays in a lot of those, like not quite rhyming, not quite pentamic or uh, not quite iambic, um, phrases that are supposed to indicate like double, double boiling trouble kind of thing. Uh, but, and then when we first meet Johanna Johas, she rides around him twice before Johas cuts it off and runs away. And the whole thing is like sort of half botched and that, that I guess sets the uneasy half baked almost horrible tone of this movie. Harry, I've seen your hand shoot up a couple times and I assume that. Yeah, means I'm sorry you got about one or two that. Things. No, that's okay. That's why we got it.
0: Uh, yeah, I just had a couple of things to comment on there, uh, that, that are really well, that you've well characterized and that are, are important to me, um, about this movie is, uh, first of all, uh, you're right. Johan has a strange relationship with Katla, right? Which I didn't pick up on, um, the, the botched initial spell. So that's really fascinating. I totally missed out on that. But there is a weird power dynamic between the two of them where it seems clear that Johan somehow knows that he's doing these two people a favor in spite of the fact that he is obviously also benefiting from mm-hmm. that. Um, where like he he is pretty openly mistreating Katla whenever they're not having sex almost like uh, entirely. Um and goes to great lengths to, to say to her explicitly, like, you aren't as good as my first wife, uh, you could never replace my first wife. And so like the that sort of seed of mistreatment or doubt does inform Jonas, the the boy, although Jonas has his own um difficulties accepting them. And so there there's a sense in which, in the sort of um, classical uh symbolic sense, like the whole witchcraft thing is itself a, a stand in uh, metaphorically for like just, um, marginalized women, right. Where it's like, these are people who don't have a lot of options and therefore they can be mistreated this way. Um, whether or not they're witches, although the, the movie like uses witchcraft in that way. Uh, go ahead, Cody. Oh, no, sure. I, um,
2: I'm like you, Harry, in that I didn't pick up on the botched, uh, spell attempt. Um, so I, I was sort of picking up pieces as I went, um, the the fact that Johan and Jonas both uh, are shown multiple times uh, at night struggling to sleep, um, and maybe it was more explicit, and I just didn't uh, like pick up on it, but that just read to me as this vibey, like, we don't know these two women as well. As, again, that sort of othering of these women where we we, we took them in, um, we don't know them as well as uh, as we think we do. Uh, and maybe sort of concluding that, that that they are as you said doing them uh a favor and then using that to to leverage some kind of um bipolar is not really the right word but uh especially uh like Johan uh whose mood can flip between these two extremes uh at the at the flip of a switch where he's either um like very angry and violent or like very angrily violently um having sex uh with his new wife um it was kind of bizarre
1: Yeah, I, you, Cody, you're sort of picking at the same scab that I think Harry brought up where like, I didn't think about it this way, but the, like the main story, the A plot, I guess there uh, is that, um, Katla is deceiving Johan. He is somehow taking advantage of, of the father son pair. Uh, but if we're operating and I think it's, it's sort of, if not implicit, maybe a little bit explicit that, uh, that Johan is somewhat aware of the duplicity on some level. He like says a couple of times that he knows he shouldn't be with her or it maybe intimates it. I was sort of in and out of the last third of this movie uh, for reasons we can get into, but um, the uh, like he is on some level aware that he's being deceived of the duplicity. And if we're accepting that, if you'll go out on that limb to know to like on some level, if not, even if some of his faculties are removed from him by witchcraft, he ha- he's operating on some level of compos mentis where he realizes that, that, that he's being taken advantage of. And if that's true, then we have to assume that it's a little bit him taking advantage of her too, right? Like she is fully, uh, she, by, by she, I mean, cat or Catla that she has sort of given herself unto this man and, and this pair, uh, to, to give herself and her sister somewhere to be somewhere to belong because their whole home is gone. Um, and if he is sort of not falling completely under the spell, if he's, if he still has some element of his own identity and desires and wants, and he's able to act on them occasionally, you know, he, he straight up, like, uh, I guess, a form of a content wording. He, he uh, smacks his wife and he, or Catla, and he, um, he mistreats her multiple times throughout the movie to assert his own identity and dominance. Uh, and I guess, like, there's a, there's a two-sided relationship going on there that I didn't pick up on until Harry I guess intimated at it, unless that's not what you were saying,
0: Carrie. No, very much so. Um, and it, it's interesting, right? Because it's a, it's a fraught and um, well realized sort of intersectional metaphor for a lot of different power dynamics, right? Like, like Katla and um, Margaret are literally refugees, um, and they have that um, need for shelter that can create um, unequal power dynamic sort of um relationships with um refugees and and um um shelter providers and their women in a society that is um set up to um ostracize and uh, marginalize and oppress women and they're maybe witches and so there is a sense in this movie where the um, the inequality of the power dynamic between um katla and her ostensible husband johan and and the negotiative aspects of that relationship that we see it's never made clear what the to my mind and again uh, big asterisk to everything um in this review i guess but um it's never made clear which of those power dynamics are operating this uh this inequality but, but that has the the sort of transcendental effect of making it kind of all of them uh, in a way that works really well I think for the movie um in my opinion just sort of as a jumping on point yeah it
1: it does that I think it like plays out those themes uh the, like the two-sided plot through obviously it's um it, it, it's writing and it's directing uh, I think that like I don't know if there are any actually bad actors in this movie. I guess you could say Johan is one of the least convincing characters, but even he is, you know, again, it has sort of, it has sort of that like written plot out, right? Where he's being uh, on some level controlled by witchcraft, um, which is sort of a cute way to mental gymnastics, your way uh, into like, believe. I I don't know. I'm just not very like, I wasn't in love with his performance, but the kid who plays Johas uh, Bjork, obviously, I don't know if we mentioned that Bjork is the main character uh, in this film. Um, surprise yeah surprise (laughs) the bjork surprise um uh it it, like they all operate on some on on either vacillating or like simultaneously those those two levels those like two um parallel uh plot lights i guess um it does that through Uh, it's cinematography, which again is set among the Icelandic Hills. I don't know what part of Iceland they were in, but it made me really, really want to play Death Stranding through again. That was a drop for Cody, (laughs) who I know is a big, huge fan of video games, especially uh, video games. Oh, that's a video game. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Well, when I say play through, I don't mean read a book. Uh, Cody, you'll you'll get this eventually. Um, I don't read books either,
2: so you got me there too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could have fooled you twice. Uh, Shame on me. The... And the last thing that I, I felt like it it played that duplicity through is its music. Uh, most of its music is like only vocal, um, uh, sort of chants, sort of rounds and polyphony, uh, where it's at least two voices, maybe a third or a fourth occasionally, but not in any sort of like conventionally uh, Western European accepted harmony or rhythm. It's just sort of like an airy. Uh, it's I'm, atonal, I mean, sure, right? Right. It, it, it yeah. It, it, like I'm sure that there is a theory to it that there's a reason for it that it's culturally like the way that music is sung in iceland and in icelandic um but it's just like not familiar to the to the uh i guess to the american audience's ear like me it it puts you off a little bit it sounds kind of creepy like you like you'd see it in an a24 horror film right like it would i got big a24
0: and, vibes from a lot of this huge uh, vi- yeah. very v- the Vivich. The- 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 yeah i'll um, let you carry that point Yeah, sure. I I actually wanted to, and I'm sorry if we're backtracking too much, but I wanted to return to something that you brought up earlier. It was sort of my second thing, um, which I I think that now that we've framed this movie's sort of dialectic of of power structures and its interest in depicting um, those intersectionally and from the sort of ambiguous standpoint, this movie also does a really fascinating thing with with knowledge as power and with maturity and... um, in interpersonal like like withholding as power it's really fascinating like like jason the, the thing that you brought up is that there are all of these sort of um folk truisms being spoken sometimes they're chanted um sort of like mysticisms and and spells they're literally incantations in some time uh points at in Catlas' um case or like johan will tell um Uh, Margaret a folk story as a means of relating to her uh, and as a means of sort of describing or explaining a phenomena to her. Um, It's usually it could be like an interpersonal relationship phenomena or it could be a natural phenomena like death uh, or the, the passage of a person into the afterworld or what have you. But those are fascinating to me in this movie, especially in conjunction with the movie's understanding of of power, where like there there is a a stark discrepancy between the children and their understanding of the world and the adults. Right, uh, we get a very like um, spirit of the Beehive vibe from that, where oh, like yeah. like or uh, to, this is a much different pull, but a little bit Moonrise Kingdom too, where like there are there are parallel plots between the children who are coming of age and, and starting to understand themselves. And in uh, Margaret's case, her powers, right? Like one of the a plots of this is that Margaret is awakening to her, witch powers, and she sees visions of her own mother, the mother who was stoned and burned to death, who seems to be guiding her or providing her with new knowledge and her coming, her awakening to these powers into this understanding of herself is coinciding with, her new sort of perspective on her sister and her sister's relationship with johan meanwhile johan and and her sister keep her at this distance where they're reminding her of what she doesn't know and they're abstracting worldly knowledge in these sort of folkisms to keep it from her and so that like that was all very fascinating to me uh This movie is like really interested in like who controls what and who's really in control here and what is what is dictating development and where did we come from and where is that going right where it's like there there are so many different competing authority figures here there's the mother there's um Catla's sister, there's Johan, uh, there's Jonas's mother, uh, and we're obsessed with these people and what they're teaching us and what they're not teaching us, uh, and that was very interesting to me. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, the uh, Margaret's interactions with her de- with the- with her mother's ghost, which happened semi-frequently throughout the movie, more frequently as the movie goes on, um, but they have uh, they-, they stress, I mean, we can talk about that specifically later, but they stress uh, sort of this weird magic, like I don't, I know that it's not magical realism, but magical and realism are the two words that are coming into my mind that sort of, I don't know exactly, I guess I'll just give an example. Uh, throughout the movie, there are moments when things that are, that cannot happen in real life happen. And they're just sort of, ex- and I don't mean like in a, in a fantastical way, they're just sort of accepted as, as like something that's going on They're They're, they're unaddressed, I guess. And one of the examples that I'm thinking of is when, um, Margaret makes shadow puppets on the wall for, uh, for Johas. And like, I, I'm assuming not diegetic, but the sound effects of the animals that she's miming on the wall, just start playing. Like she makes a wolf and there's a howl. She makes a chicken and there's the cluck. It's just like a weird, the weird space that this movie creates, wherein magic is accepted. Uh, like usually unacknowledged until it becomes a malevolent force or like maybe not really even accepted. I, 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 I guess as many times that I like stopped talking in this podcast, I don't really know exactly what the end goal of that is. It's just something that I noticed while watching.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I feel you and listening to you both, I don't know if this next bit is something that will necessarily help string things together, but uh, in the ways that you two have brought up things that stuck with you stylistically and thematically, um, there was one kind of flavor of of something that stuck with me for for quite a long time and and even up to now just thinking about it the next day um but the the way we're sort of introduced to we we touched on it briefly just the nature of this this witchcraft um this magic and how it's not being spoon-fed to us we're not given the rules on like you know in introductory slide before this movie begins we're picking up things as we go and the movie's um the the editing specifically, but also the cinematography, they, they do th- little things to help uh, bring us in um, to it, intrigue us uh, it, it, as to you know what exactly we're we're dealing with here. So one of the very first shots has uh, Margaret sitting. It's uh, one of the first of the seemingly thousands of very static. Uh, long static takes um, from about like a, a medium shot distance. Uh, Bjork is sitting on a hill. There's a, a bug buzzing. She mumbles some some incantation, some some little uh you know nursery rhyme esque uh sonnet, and then the buzzing stops. Uh, and that's kind of our first you, you know we're we're sticking with the action, and we know that there, there there's something happening, and then. Couple that with what happens a couple shots later where, um, uh, these sisters, Margaret and, um, and Katla are, look, Katla wants to show Margaret something. She points to something out of frame. We kind of linger with where they're at for a while and then slowly, but surely the camera pans down and we see a corpse in the water. And so we're, we're picking up clues as we, as we go and the, the kind of the technical components, um, the framing that the, everything are slowly working with us to, um, to, to show us more. Uh, and then meanwhile, you know, I mentioned those the really kind of static camera. Um you know we're, we're used to these these dialogues between uh Katla and Johan, between Catlin, and Margit, um even between Margit and uh and Jonas uh to to a certain extent, these very just drawn out conversations between two characters. Uh, and then so these two sort of um technical agendas come together in a scene that uh, I th- think we've brought up already the um, Margaret seeing her mother uh, for the first time uh, and that's one of the first vivid sequences we have of both close-ups and shot reverse shot um, to show Margaret looking repeatedly uh, repeatedly uh, at her mother back to her back to her mother uh, we don't know it's her mother at the time I don't think uh, and then back to her and these and there's like really intense uh, musical cues uh, and that's like the big uh, or a big reveal of the movie, or kind of reveal one A uh, with one B taking place in a later scene where we're utilizing these same, uh, the these these same uh techniques, um, the, these sh- close-ups, shot reverse shot to show this Lynchian or maybe not Lynchian. Um, oh, I uh, f-
0: felt pretty Lynchian. The, that's a good uh, takeaway.
2: Vid- Videodrome esque, uh, hole in the chest. Um, oh yeah, on, uh, uh, on their on on their mother there, and that's and I, I guess that's sort of the, the peak of what we de- of what we're shown um, to uh, you know, what the extent of this, this witchcraft, uh, at least how that depicts to, or how that translates to what we can see depicted with our, with our, our mortal um, eyes. And, and I guess it's a very long tangent uh, apologies, but no, this, this is
0: perfect. This is, uh, this is like exactly where I wanted to go to. So I'm glad you're saying that. Go ahead. No,
2: cool, um, and actually, Harry, what you said now that I'm thinking about it this this gradual showing of of more more and more knowledge sort of bridges a gap between the movie and it and its audience in a way that these different permutations of character interactions maybe don't bring to the table as much um that's sort of you know this is the wall between us you know you and i are, are sisters but like there's so much that you don't understand uh with your own powers and what it means to be a grown up and what it means to fall in love uh and the, the movie's kind of doing the opposite it's like bringing you in and bringing us in in a way that promotes intrigue and if we were to think of this in like the maybe the opposite fashion you know sort of uh shot reverse shot close ups back to um you know slow camera pans and then like forcing us to look at uh, a static, you know, something in the frame, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of something like a, like a horror movie, something like alien where, you know, the way that juniper tree brings us in, it, it promotes intrigue. Whereas if we were to, to go about it the opposite way, you know, it might be a different movie. It might be something where we're supposed to be uh, horrified, um, but I never felt horrified uh, at what I was seeing. And I, I think what's um, what Keen chooses to do with the camera Uh, and with the frame, um, brings that through in a way where the story is told in, in a much better way, I think for, for what her story actually is.
0: Uh, that's fascinating. Wow. Um, I'm really glad that you were able to supply actual, like, um, shot evidence and, um, structural evidence because, uh, as Jason and I have alluded to, um, we didn't probably pay enough attention to this movie, um given everything understandable
2: and totally yeah Um, we'll we'll of course get to it but like i would never hold you two on the hook for that
0: (laughs) jason you had said that that you sort of um introduce an idea and then and then don't um don't really know whether or not the movie does with it or what the movie's doing with it i would say that my contribution to that sort of discourse um historically has always been that i i sort of do the um the pretentious Aristotelian thing where like, I try to like synthesize our ideas in such a way that we come, come away with like a, uh, um, an understanding that I, we can reconcile all this together. Um, Oh no, gestalt. Because it's me, it's, it's very forced and very mechanical uh, as, as you're, I'm alluding to now, but Cody's helped quite a lot with that. Um, And uh, so like I'm, what I'm fascinated about, is, is what Cody was saying about the way that that the, the framing and uh, shot choices and um, sort of mechanical choices in this movie help establish um, this, this era and aura of unknowability and of the sort of power dialectic between who knows what and who doesn't and between childhood and adulthood. Um, one obvious thing that we haven't brought up yet is that this movie was filmed in 1990, but it's in like Bergman black and white? Like it's it's very clearly like a Inugmar Bergman reference, in my opinion. Uh, like almost all movie long, uh, it just looks like a Bergman movie. The the body floating in the um the river is like an exact callback to uh, Hour of the Wolf, um, for instance. But um, so. I, it's interesting right because like that's a, that's a big takeaway and also the understatement that cody you alluded to was another big takeaway um and the way in which we introduce uh the audience to magic or to the magical sort of realism that you brought up jason without a lot of fanfare uh and in fact sort of establish a world where it feels mundane or it feels natural if only because it's it's just another abstraction on top of an abstraction. Where, like, this is a medieval story. It's shot in black and white. It's not something that feels real. It feels fairy tale like, right? It's a literal fairy tale. Like, it the framing is is that of a fairy tale. Um, that sort of creates this distance between the audience and us. That that furthers thematically that unknowability. Um, and this unknowability, I should I should also say, is textual. Um, there's a central framing device. Um, that I did not totally pay enough attention to to be honest, but it 's this story about birds and what the birds know and what people know uh that we that we can talk to a little bit more, but all of that is to say that that cody um the things that you're saying they correlate to me really well with this movie 's attempt to sort of carefully control what we're, what we're allowed to know about this story um toward the end of evoking the the emotion and fear or um sort of halting but determined self um actualization and and maturity of Margot. this is like very much a pov movie to me if that makes sense and i think that thematically and mechanically there's a um an integration there that i'm fascinated by
2: well good uh because i wasn't sure if anything i was saying made a lick of sense um so that's uh that is comforting and i guess my only uh the only my only apprehension about what what juniper tree did with all of that um you know harry you mentioned a24 vibes i got thinking a lot about uh the lighthouse um yeah, so of course while watching this and um to speak to something that i think uh jason you mentioned the the role that um, the framing of of this of these landscapes of the the natural world that this movie takes place and the role that that has I think my one of my main stylistic if not overall holdups with this movie is uh, similar to one that I had with the lighthouse in that the 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 framing of of that world you know the the landscapes the sky uh, the water the birds the trees everything um, it it uh, maybe in the first half of the first couple of acts of the movie just gest- gestures at the fact that there might be some sort of integration later on. Um, th- the fact that we're, we're sitting so long with these characters, uh, focused on them for five minutes at a time, just begging for some kind of cutaway to, uh, you know, a group of birds flying away or, uh, you know, a tree, you know, blowing in, in the wind. Um, I didn't really feel like that was, that was acted upon even at maybe at the, in the final couple of shots. And we have Margaret looking up at the sky in one of the most uh, beautiful shots that I've seen in black and white for, for some time. Uh, Just that, that long stare into the night sky. Uh, I don't know if you two felt differently about that, um, but I just figured I would tie it back to something. Maybe that's that differently with you guys.
1: Uh that shot in specific didn't hit me the way it did you but I see why it did. Uh I I guess just as comment for like the way that this film is shot, it is a lot of at least while there's motion going on, a lot of really wide angle shots of uh just and again, being black and white, it's often very difficult to determine like what's going on, on on screen. I assume that's very intentional. I don't know if the cinematographer for this film went on to do much else, um, but it is, I think, like a great marriage of the uh, story it's telling and the themes it's trying to present and the way that it shows you uh, the people enacting those things. Uh, the thing I'm thinking, the one I'm thinking of is when, um, when Johas is. Uh, goaded to the edge of a cliff by Katla after one of their confrontations. He believes that uh, that magic will save him and that if he falls from the cliff, he will turn into a bird and he will not die. He will not hit the bottom. He will not be smited against the stone and he will not die. Uh, She sort of eggs him on, says, do it, try it. You know, what do you want to bet sort of thing? Put your money where your mouth is. He slips and falls and of course dies. But the next shot you see is sort of a shot from, excuse me, at, at the foot of that cliff. And it holds there for 45 seconds while Katla just walks across, and you cannot like I could not tell where she was going because you cannot discern human body from clumps of vegetation on in like the Icelandic. Uh, it does livescape. feel
0: intentional, right? Very much yeah, so.
1: It does the like the to me this movie overall, and uh, I, I guess I just can't enjoy a movie anymore without like trying to pinhole what it is or what it's about or what it's doing. But what it was, what it is, what it's about, and what it's doing to me is just is is showcasing is sort of calling to attention the places where these characters and i guess in a larger statement we as people uh look for like harry was saying self-actualization look for identity through through people through the places we are and through the pieces and through the people we're there with um the uh, like there's a pretty expository scene where Margaret says uh, where, where Margaret and Johas, Johas has a better relationship with Margaret than he has with Catla. He believes Catla is directly antagonistic while he believes that Margaret is um, sort of on their side. She's not evil. She's, you know, she may know witchcraft, but that doesn't make her a witch, so to speak. Uh, and in this scene, she, he says Catla uh, can't stay, but you can um, like, she has to go back to wherever she's from. And Margaret says, we don't like that place doesn't exist anymore. Nobody's there. It's gone. It's like the people aren't there. So it's not there. And that got me thinking about what market is looking for is she's obviously looking for, uh, you know, ways to reconnect with her mother. She finds those in, you know, what, what to me, I know Cody said this movie wasn't horrifying to him, but in some horrifying ways, like she encounters her mother's ghost and just sort of like sits there rocking and singing with it. Occasionally, uh, and uh, Johas is, is similarly looking for a lost mother, but finds like this sort of pseudo uh, pseudo mother figure in Margit, even though she's also young. Uh, Katla is looking for belonging and companionship and security in Johan. Johan is looking for the same from Katla generally. And I'm sure we'd be able to pull, pull out specifics of the plot and of like how the movie plays out that re- directly refute what I'm saying. But that's the impression I left the movie was, is that it's those things that the movie is trying to highlight through sort of a, this uh, sick fairy tale, uh, this really grim tale, no pun intended that I guess mm-hmm. open in opening that space uh, with, with its, uh, with its sort of ambiguous landscape, Uh, and it's really, and it's wide angles and it's really long scenes and it's esoteric dialogue. It's sort of exemplifying the distance between where these characters are and what they want from their lives to be able to become like, I guess the, the versions of themselves that they used to be in a way.
0: Right. Um, this is, I think exactly where to go from here, right? Like I, so, um, well, sort of guided. um, I I also wanted to point out that um, death is central to this movie, right? I mean, obviously, um, Margaret and Jonas are both uh, children without mothers who have lost their mothers um, and have surrogate um, mothers in their places that they have um, much more complicated relationships with. Um, Katla's as a sister is a she's a survivor, but she's not particularly warm to Margaret. Their relationship is about establishing the things that Margaret doesn't know that Katla does, and that why Katla should listen or Margaret should listen to Katla and be subservient to her because it's like I'm trying to make sure we survive sort of thing. Uh, similarly, Jonas idolizes his father Johan, but uh, feels terrible resentment toward Katla, which is funny because it's, it's portrayed in this sort of like abstracted, she's a witch way, but you can see in the movie takes great pains to show us that at the heart of it, there's a much more human and, and understandable sympathetic motivation there, which is just a, a kid who hates his stepmom, right? Because it's not his mom. Um, And what we're looking for in the mothers and the absence of the mothers is I think central to this, which is like, security and understanding in the face of death it was like for these characters their mothers and their former lives represented a time when the world made sense right where they had some security and some self-knowledge as a result of that security that is now missing um and so like obviously like margaret's relationship with her phantom mother is sort of a um a a twin symbol because it, it represents this need of hers to return to a time when things made sense, when she could be with her mother, but she's also reaching inside the cavity of her mother's chest, right? In what, for the record, uh, just to, to put my own, um, opinions out there, uh, top 10 scary moments. Um, I don't know what it is, but I like black and white movies scare the fucking shit out of me. Um, there are Bergman movies that I find scarier than anything. Um, and this movie like like evoked some of that for me um in a really good way but uh but when she's reaching into her chest it's there's an interesting relationship with with maturity and self-knowledge there too right because it is both return and extrapolation it's about her reaching back to the past to when things made sense but but it it becomes almost rebellious where it becomes more about wanting to preserve um The notion of something that is now gone much the same way that Jonas in his insistence that his mother's magic is still alive in the world and can protect him is attempting to preserve the version of reality that was when his mother was alive, because that's the version of himself that he understands and the version of Johan that he understands Katla um, represents an interloper attempting to take that from him, uh, which the movie makes clear, unfortunately, is true. Um, again, I think that, that without sort of in understatement, the, the movie has a complex relationship with Katla in that she's not a typical villain because all of her um, own motivations to sort of supplant Johann's original wife, to erase her memories, they're also driven from very deeply human impulses. Um, I don't think the movie's really about Katla, and I really appreciated that understatement. The way that like she was the evil stepmother and not uh, to go off of our our buddy um Griffin Philipich's letterbox review uh shout outs to Griffin I guess but um that was something he pointed out that made a lot of sense to me um and that just kind of show goes to show you that um that's not really what the movie's interested in it's more interested in um Margot and a little bit Yoas Jonas um excuse me sorry uh, go ahead Cody
2: no, you're good. Uh, I really just wanted to to pop in and say I didn't realize that um, I was the the big tough guy uh, that was going to be on the episode <laughs> today. Uh, the fact that I, I wasn't a, a big scaredy cat. Um, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, I the <laughs> the idea of of being horrified by this movie or, for that matter, any black and white movie. Um, you know, imagine a world where a colored film didn't exist. That is frightening. Uh, but I think there. It, thinking back um there the uh, component of this movie that was maybe most uh, if i use the term frightening the that was most frightening to me um going off what you're saying harry uh i i like the 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 idea of, of confronting uh the the idea of your current reality versus what was um the fact that these these previous lives these previous realities are the the word fester keeps coming up in my head um but they're they're just chewing away at these people um the the um you know margaret uh i guess it's mentioned i i can't remember if it's her if it's her sister uh mentioning uh kind of offhandedly you know our our mother was burned and you know that's not going to be us and you can see that idea uh visually in in bjork's performance which is great um you can see that that's kind of eating away at her and and she's pretty much so
0: i think that's like central to the idea of this movie too right sorry go ahead
2: no no you're good and like the it, it didn't really connect at first when she was kneeling in front of the rock wall sees her and then says take me with you like that is such a desperate a plea such a cry for help and then the you know the previous reality of this uh, you know this widower and his son um and that uh you know leaks into uh you know Kotla as well where Jonas you know the little twerp is just talking about you know I, I don't like you you, you can't be from, from where from where I'm from or whatever the, the whatever the hell he's spouting that kid annoyed me um but uh you know he's he's right to be upset obviously Obviously and his, his life has been so tremendously affected and like Katla doesn't let that in until all of a sudden she does. And she kind of lets the viewer know that, oh yeah, like she, this, this, his mother is like, she does not want us here. Uh, like this is going to be a problem. Um, and that, that sort of pivot, or I guess each of those minor pivots as we go were, I, I think genuinely frightening beats to me
0: um yeah i'm glad you brought up that stuff with Jonas because the way that he ostracizes or attempts to um separate himself from uh katla and margit is really interesting because he like he leverages a bunch of like like um power dynamic language right where like it's about you can't be from here and you aren't uh my mother you are not my mother you are a witch like, he, he attempts to, to categorize them in order to other and separate them, like you had said before, Cody. Um, and it's it's interesting that, like, there there's such a xenophobia metaphor at the heart of this about, like, why do we separate uh, people? And where does that suspicion and distrust come from? And why does it exist in the first place? Um, and the movie seems to be making the point that it's coming from um, anxiety and fear of death and uh, fear of the future, right? Because like like you had said, the centrality of death and like hangs over these people, right? Where like like uh, Jonas's mother is literally right in the middle of their um, little encampment such that her grave is like something that they're looking at constantly. And uh, Jonas is always talking about his dead mom and he, and he carries around the, the crow feather that he gave her with him, uh, as a reminder, um, Margaret is seeing her dead mother constantly and can't control it and uh, simultaneously loves and is obsessed with her mother and hates that she can't describe or explain these feelings or these this power to anybody else and hates the implications that it has for her. Um, and so like all of these characters are defined by their fear of death, right? And the movie becomes something about like what happens to human relationships when that fear exists. And especially when that fear is filtered through these intersectional um, power dynamics. Right. Uh, And it, um, it then sort of, it goes from there to depict what it's like to, to come of age under all of that. um, And what coming of age looks like and what, conclusions were forced to make to do it uh, through the eyes of um, KatLA so I you know I brought up uh, spirit of the beehive before and it's like it's very much in that genre of like children learning what death is for the first time right uh, and I that's that's a really interesting aspect of this movie
1: yeah I when I think about sort of this movie as parable, I start to think about uh, I guess I, I, it centers more strongly the characters in my mind um, and the way that specifically the way that Margaret and Katla's relationship, it was kind of like a little bit hands off. They're kind of like rarely in two scenes intera- in, uh, in a mm-hmm. scene interacting together before, between like the beginning and the end uh, they're often separated, but when they're brought back together is when, and spoiler alert uh, Katla Catla of course, kills it. I guess you could say kills. She goes, oh, I, I read boy. it. as
0: murder. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, in effect, it's murder because she's responsible for his death, but I don't want to mischaracterize what she actually does. She goes him off of a cliff. He dies. She um, cuts off fingers. Uh, two of his fingers uh, boils one of them into stew in that's going to, uh, that's supposed to make them, Uh, Johan and Margaret forget that this ever happened and not realize that he's dead and sort of not think about it. She, uh, sends, she drops him in the water and forgets about it. Uh, that is because Margaret refuses to eat the porridge that that's made out of, uh, at least some of his flesh. And I hope I'm not misinterpreting that scene. Some of Johan's flesh. Uh, she doesn't. And again, this is like this is how weirdly dark it gets all of a sudden up to that point. Like it's dark. It's sinister, but it's not like kind of gross out dark. Um, that is a turning point, And it's pretty late, but a pretty turning point for Margit and Catla's relationship in a really interesting way that sort of positions Catla as saboteur of Margit's uh like achieving of that of that uh self-recognition, of that like conquering the fear of death. She's thrown right back into it and she sort of handles it how she handles it. But uh I wanted to know if anybody if either of you had like thoughts about the same dynamic change there.
2: Uh well, not to directly respond to that, um but we're mentioning the the Jonas stew. Um, I'd be happy to send pictures of my noties later. Um, but in a way I accidentally called this just for my own, my own self and my own viewing. I think it was after a particularly heated conversation between Kotlin and Jonas. And I was like, man, the way these two are getting along, I'm wondering when we're going to, when we're going to make a big pot of Jonas stew. And then,
1: um, oh no, (laughs) I literally
2: used the phrase Jonas stew. Um, (laughs) and then 20 minutes later uh we're eating Jonas stew and i felt so proud um but also Tony's media literacy is just hard.
0: too high it's it's precognition at this point <laughs> my
2: my honors english teacher uh from high school would be so proud of me that i called the the cannibalism
1: um but the really dark twist in a children's I mean, fantasy tale set in iceland it,
0: <laughs> it is the perfect it's the perfect conclusion right and it, in some ways it's like it's like the only logical end right to, to what this story was that the sort of like slow motion tragedy so it, it is the sort of thing you could call it's it's very impressive that you did but it, but it's like of course this was always gonna end with the death of Jonas and um, and in fact uh, Katla attempting to sort of fascistically appropriate Jonas's life into her control uh, because that's what Katla's all about is like Katla's version of survival is controlling the people that she requires to the, to the point that they aren't themselves anymore. Right. She literally consumes Jonas in her attempt to, uh, transform the world into her own vision of it. Just yeah. the way, just the way that she had been, uh, seducing Johan through witch magic to get them to this place in the first place. Um, and so there is a, there's a, um, suggestion that, in fact, she was trying to supplant the mother's memory. Like what she was trying to do was destroy that memory for her own ends. And so like Jonas is sort of redeemed in his death. Uh, ironically.
1: Yeah. It. What you're making me like you got to where I was going to chime in, uh, but I'll just reiterate like what that says about. What you've learned, what you understand about her, um, her motivations to that point, again, like up to that point in the movie, up till it like you got really, really sorted. I sort of I didn't empathize with her, but I understood her motivation. I thought I understood her motivations to, you know, find meeting, find a community, find identity, find a place to belong. And then with that, when you realize just like how far she was willing to go to uh, to sort of suppress another's desire for that same thing, you realize Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not what she was going for after all. It made me think about like what her relationship with her mother. We don't I don't think we ever see the mother alive except in flashback. Like when the movie starts, she's already dead. But she doesn't see
0: her. That's an important thing.
1: Yeah. She doesn't even see her in in the as a ghost. Right. Right. Um,
0: And Katla does. Yeah, right. So it's Margaret, like, there's no a yeah. reason why, uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Margaret, Margaret sees her mother. Her mother is made manifest to her, but Catelyn never does, even though yeah. she has the same witch's power. Right. So like, I think that's very pointed.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd sort of wondered what that says about her relationship to her mother and what that mother was to both of them. Um, Cody, I saw your hand up. Do you want to go back to a point?
0: Uh, no, no, I'm good. You covered it. No, Cody, get get <laughs> back to that point. We're calling you well, out.
1: I'm I, I'm not going to call you out pinhead um I, am. The, I
2: i guess the only both of you suck um the one thing that uh i i guess it, this is a couple of points ago but sort of the inevitability of that conclusion um it didn't always work for me the way this uh this screenplay built up these you know these core four characters more often than not it did and that's sort of a, a trajectory that was indicative early on just the the intensity of who of who these characters are um you know Jonas being so passionate about um you know his stance on family and his past and like his family's future um katla's own you know extreme passion for forging a new life um you know trying to uh integrate herself into this new situation um, so it, in a way that the movie set us on that path and it was, you know, um, you know, pretty indicative that it was going to come to a head, uh, by means of, you know, a, a delicious Jonas entree. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Um, well, and, and the subsequent, the um, subsequent, <laughs> the subsequent, uh, rebellion of Margaret, right because she refuses to drink the stew which is oh, like totally a, a pretty potent symbol of like refusing the control of your overbearing sister refusing to um accept her sort of um forced perception of your life and identity unto you and then uh subsequently she uh reveals the whole thing right she she like she tells Johan and she, she tries to be sympathetic to her sister Katla and says like, she didn't mean to kill him. She like, she was doing this and that. Um, but Katla is forced out of this, uh, village or their, their little encampment, um, and away from her husband. And it, we're left with just Johan and Katla. Um, I was very fascinated by the ending of this movie, right? Because then what happens is Johan himself abandons uh Margaret there as well, right? Um and Margaret the last scene of this movie is Margaret there with um with the uh grave of Johan's mother. Um And the crow that she had said was the reincarnation of Jonas himself and sort of is symbolically um, Jonas's influence on her or presence in her life. Right. This is a movie about the presence of people preserved through life, uh, irrespective of life and death. Right. Like her mother. Um, I can't remember if her mother shows up again. No, she says goodbye to her mother. And that's a really important part, right? Also is that she actually like, after all of this plays out, Margaret sees her mother one last time and of her own accord and her own acceptance says goodbye to her mother, right? Like now she's living in the world. Now she says things as they are um, and doesn't need to see her mother anymore, Um, which is a fascinating place to get to.
1: Yeah, I is that what they mean by and I feel like this is a phrase I just don't know, one of those idiot things like a literature thing that I'm just too stupid to know. Is that what they're insinuating when they use the phrase a couple times in the movie What the Birds Know is that like sort of awareness of the world as as it is?
0: Right. I mean, I think that that what the what the birds knew was like a really evocative metaphor for me in terms of like unknowability again, like you had said, it's just like they would go and they would know what the birds knew. And, and also the, the, what the birds knew refers to a transformation, right? Where like, like they sent their children away to become birds. And when the birds returned, they didn't know each other. They were separated. There was, there was a a separation point because of this transformation, transformative trauma or um, trial that these people underwent. Um, we can maybe get to this now. I, I don't remember the, the story of the birds as well as I should, because, uh, like we had mentioned a couple times throughout this episode, I didn't pay enough attention, um, to the movie, uh, because yeah. of, um, the riots that are happening all over, uh, the city that it we was, live in. It was,
1: it was a really weird backdrop, uh, of course, referring to the, um, to the riots uh, that followed, uh, the George Floyd, the lack, yeah, the lack of police action to indict and prosecute, uh, or at least swift, quick, swift action to indict and prosecute uh, the murderers of George Floyd, uh, an unarmed right. black man in, in South Minneapolis, that happened, or at least the protest started just a couple of days ago, right after his death, and uh, and really hit a fever pitch last night. No idea where they're going from here, but uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, and yeah, they they really this the, the night that we're referring to is the night that the uh autozone burned down, that the target was looted, that the pre- third precinct of Minneapolis, which is just about a mile from my home from where I'm sitting now, um, really where things really went down, so to speak. Uh and of course, while we're trying to watch this, uh while while I'm trying to watch this movie, uh, you know, a lot of great reporting is going on from the street level and it was just made it We'll say that it took my attention in two different directions. Uh, and, Harry right. and, and Harry sort of pointed out that uh, this movie was was watched in chunks, I guess. And it was that mm-hmm. way for me, too, where I just could not focus on what was happening. So I, I decided rather than rather than ignore it completely, I would pause the film and just come back to it when my attention w- could be more focused. I'm assuming that uh, the situation was similar for uh, either of both of you.
0: Oh, it's exactly. I think I was watching the same live stream you were after you you shouted it out and i just been on twitter all the time because that's apparently the way that i uh pay attention to the news now um which is great uh yeah so basically what we're saying is that it was very fraught circumstances to watch a movie uh and so we were uh
1: I, yeah, like specifics, like like the story of the birds and some of the fables that are alluded to throughout the movie, uh, sort of do pass me by a little bit, and which makes me feel a little bit guilty, as in you know maybe I maybe I'm not giving it the fair shake it needs. But I I should say as like as a summation, I do not think I disliked it. I think I, I think it deserves me watching it in toto and without uh, abbreviation or interruption. Uh, but I, I did enjoy my watching experience. Right? I mean, I I assume both. Yeah,
2: of you did. I think
0: it's a strong movie.
2: Yes, yeah, I I think I like this movie um a good bunch I not to you know whatever I I watched uh or my viewing was kind of straight through um I you know for better and for worse I didn't get pulled out too much but um basically as soon as I took out uh, I was watching it on the Criterion Channel uh shout out to Criterion uh, on my laptop and as soon as I took my earbuds out I was you know hearing rumblings of things going on elsewhere in the city. And so any sort of, um, you know, researcher or, or post viewing digestion that I would normally treat myself to was just out the window. Um, there's right. no, it was happening. Um, but, but yeah, this, this is something that I would certainly revisit down the road, I think. Um, and is something that is worth, uh, um, Re, uh, visiting and revisiting. Um, the restoration of it is is gorgeous. I guess I can talk about that just a teeny bit. Um, it was done uh, from what I can tell a couple of years ago by uh, the Wisconsin Center for Film and Theater Research and the Film Foundation with funding provided by the George Lucas Family Foundation. Um, and looking into it, uh, it seemed like there were ties between uh, the University of Wisconsin and uh, Nietzsche Keen, the director of this film, who. Yeah, she um, taught
0: there for a long time. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, yep. She, so she um, went through her, her schooling. Um, she got her bas- bachelor's in German linguistics at uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst and then her master's uh, at UCLA um, it, it masters in film, I should say. Um, and at that same time, she was serving as a research assistant in old ice, uh, old Icelandic language and linguistics. Um, I guess I'm just segueing myself into Cody's notice.
0: Sorry. about Hell that. Hell yeah. Oh Hell you, yeah. You, wow. You, you,
1: you ripped the handle from me, but I'm glad you
0: did. <laughs> Much, much I, as much as uh, the characters in this film learn to live outside of their domineering parental figures um, versions of life, Cody has taken control of his own noties. Cody's own
1: stewies.
2: <laughs> Stop. You're making me hungry again. Um, but And I don't have too much more uh, about her, but I did want to say, uh, so it, yeah, I, Icelandic language and linguistics, which... I, um, ties a little bit into the film's production of course um she doesn't have a lot of projects to her name um she has a few other shorts um and movies that uh were in development uh up until her uh her her death which took place much too soon uh in 2004 she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she died later that year um the juniper tree is the work that she is far and away most known for, which feels weird to say considering how underseen it is. Um, but I'm thankful, uh, just from a, uh, film appreciative perspective, uh, that this restoration took place, um, because again, it looks great. And, We I mean, before recording, the three of us didn't think we would have a lot to say, um, given the circumstances and and kind of where we've been the past couple of days and where our city and the world has been the past couple of days. Uh, And yet, you know, this piece of art is here and we've talked about it for an hour uh, and counting. Um, So if you I think it's I think it's worth the escape if you can pull yourself away from reality for. uh, And did we mention it's under 80 minutes, which.
1: Hell yeah, the the Rashomon rule. did I ever tell you guys my Icelandic story? It's not a very like closely personal one. Um, so my my older brother is a composer, uh, living on the west coast. And uh, while he was, I think he was coming out of college, he was getting you know contract gigs here and there. He was working with the San Francisco Conservatory of Music over the past few years. Uh, but one of his projects, and I forget the origin of it, one of his projects led him to writing a piece that ha- that was based on. And I'm pretty sure it was Icelandic language. Uh, I I hate to generalize, but Icelandic and Greenlandic dialects might sort of flow together in my mind. Um, But anyway, he uh, ended up speaking to uh, a woman named Nugaga Koster Waldau. Which is the uh, wife of uh, Game of Thrones Nicola? actor Nikolai? Yeah, yeah. Holy uh, shit. yeah. So he uh, and he had trouble getting in touch with her because she knows the language, whichever one it was. I feel like an idiot not knowing this story in full, but it's the first thing I think of whenever I think of the the odd consonants and and sort of sounds that make up the Icelandic language. Again, bit exoticizing of me, but. Uh, so he had to get in touch with her. Was having some trouble emailing back and forth, and she said, "Okay, try this number." Uh, it was like an, uh, a, a an American or a, a, a yeah an, a U.S. cell phone number. He dials it, picks up the phone, and or, who, or the guy on the other end of the phone says, "This is Nick." And my brother is talking to the star of Game of Thrones, Nikolai Kostor-Waldau, who ended up putting him in touch with uh, with Nugaga to like, continue this project. And I don't remember exactly what the origin of it is. Maybe I can link it in the show notes if I can find it. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought...
0: Wh- well, like, well, we're sharing.
1: I thought when I started this movie that I was going to be hearing a lot more Icelandic. Uh, this movie is in English. I, I that sort of took me by surprise is that everybody speaks pretty fluent English in this film. Yeah, and it's revealed. Uh, I guess that makes more sense uh, when you realize that. And again, some of the special features that are on the Criterion Channel feature Nichkhun, uh, speaking, and she has she is an like she has an American accent. She does not speak with any form mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, of foreign accent. Um, so like the fact that it is. Sp- like in-, in spoken English, surprised me, and I almost thought I was going to get like hear a lot of Nukaka's tongue. I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah, what a tragedy that that she passed away at fifty two. Yeah. It seemed like she had a lot of um, a lot of work yet to do. She was in the middle of uh, a third feature film, um, Gone Before Her Time. It's terrible. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, uh, you're I- out of notice, right, Cody? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Oh, wait. Did you have more noties? Is the no? Wally no.
2: Drive? I no. I was no. My eyes were were scanning the pages of of my noties. Um. I was curious. Uh. What you unless you had other things you wanted to to talk about. Um. Potential recommendations. I was curious what you guys came oh. up. with. Oh,
1: good question. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I'll I'll break uh, foot mold again and say that I would recommend playing at least for a few minutes Death Stranding, the video game, because wow. if you put a black and white filter over that game, you get pretty much. It's like it's hard to call it desolate Not because wrong. it's because it's so beautiful and green. But in this movie, of course, it's black and white, and you're just you're only able to barely intimate that that it's green, like the land is green. Um, but it's it's very relevant to like if only because I only know how to describe things in reference to other things I've seen or played or experienced, it, it like it reminded me very much of that experience um, of moving sort of solitary through uh, a, a barren land. Again, not barren. I don't know exactly how to describe it. There's got to be some cool word that describes what that land is like. Craggy stark stark. Uh. Um, it's just it, it's definitely a certain vibe that I This is the second piece of media I've seen that really nails it, that doesn't like just use it as set dressing, but really lets the landscape into its bones and makes it part of the story, I guess. I really liked that, uh, and I I couldn't stop thinking about it while watching the movie. Um, Of course, just by association, black and white films uh, of all kinds. I've only seen one um, Ingmar Bergman film, but very reminiscent of that. Uh, uh, Again, most modern horror films, a lot of And I I hate to be the guy on a podcast talking about repertory cinema who mentions A24, but a lot of A24 stuff that's supposed to be like uh, softly unsettling is very much in this vein. Uh, It seems to have taken. I'd be very surprised if people like Ari Aster had not had have not at least heard. It seems like
0: a touchstone.
1: Yeah, it seems seems like it belongs uh, in discussions for like horror movies that aren't quite horror movies that are just very unsettling and, and quote unquote vibey is is a word that i'd use to describe it those are my two recommendations
0: uh okay i can go next um i mentioned the spirit of the beehive um i think that's one of my favorite movies ever um so there are some there are some definite theme uh overlap there uh you should watch that movie everybody should watch that movie um i was going to go to igmar bergman as well um persona uh hour of the Wolf, and if you want to get really intense with it, well, Persona is plenty intense, but like Cries and Whispers um, would all be fascinating movies to watch in relation to this one. I think um, I thought of The Lighthouse and The Vivitch as well. Uh, Cody, um, those were two big ones that that kept coming up to me. Um, if you want more hashtag video game recommendations, um, I feel like, oh, uh, sorry, I was also going to say Cormac McCarthy's The Road uh is, is a similar story very about, good um, very good one yeah about you know uh fathers and sons or or siblings um similarly uh i guess the last of us a little bit if you really want like a slam recommendation i don't know how much i recommend the last of us in general right. uh, and i don't know how much i recommend it in relation to this but uh it's a video game
1: it well um, yeah i i i I think that's acceptable it's it touches on a lot of the same themes right like everybody's obsessed sure. with death everybody's yeah i i think that's a fair a, recommendation a
0: Plague Tale innocence is a video game i haven't played but uh it's another one that reminded me of this uh if we're looking at video game recommendations hey um i should finally sorry this is a lot of recommendations but i should shout out um i'm reading octavia butler's the parables of the sower right now or the parable of the sower excuse me um that that Book is all about framing, uh, like life and relationships around um, death being a constant and a, a constant threat that's looming over you, um, and coming of age in that. And so, like, if you're interested in in that particular, um, like, like uh, sort of genre fiction framing, uh, Parable of the Sower is really good for that. Um, that's all I've got, Cody.
2: Nice. Um I'm gonna break the trend of recommending video games. Uh, shocker. Uh but I I had a little bit of trouble thing I, I do have recommendations, but just like sort of tracking my, my thought process for the hell of it. Um I I tried to shoehorn in other similar works that dealt with um like the same types of uh thematic struggles that that juniper tree put forth specifically like familial, uh, conflict, uh, and drama. So things like, uh, the vich, um, certainly it, it fits the bill also because which is, um, hereditary somewhat fits the bill. I think, um, if you know, it, it's, it's a different vibe for sure. Um, Rosemary's baby kind of fits more so with, with the vibe and then like going down the vibe spectrum, and um like the integration of fantastical elements into uh like a very landscape focused uh like natural world um visually. Uh I, I just now thought of Stalker, um, which may or may not be a stretch. Oh, sure. Um but uh yeah, I I don't know. Uh, Stalker rules. Um I'm sure I'm sure we've brought it up on the pod before. Uh and then another one, my last one, which sort of goes along with the vibe. Uh, recommendation and also um, sort of along the line of uh, fairy tales or fantastical elements um, contemporized somewhat um, which is maybe a stretch uh, for the juniper tree but bear with me I guess Um, a girl walks home alone at night which we talked about on our last uh, released episode uh, as well Um, and it's a movie that I find myself thinking about all the time Um, and that movie is also uh, sort of a uh, a slower, um, more, uh, you know, it, you're, you're sitting with things a little bit longer. I, I use the word digest. Um, you know, we're, we're digesting a lot. The movie allows itself and its characters and its world to digest. It is, uh, show, it's black and white. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It rules. We recommend a, a lot of things. Um, so hopefully some of them will tickle y'all's
1: fancies. Beautiful thanks guys for uh, sitting down and talking about this movie. Uh, things are weird right now, but uh it's good to good to just chat um,
0: yeah um, right I mean yeah. we I, I go back and forth about if we should say anything about that at all right but uh suffice to say like nobody comes to us for any sort of authority or advice in, the, in these things because we're just doofuses. Um, I wasn't there uh, on the, the front lines, right? I wasn't part of the protests or the the riots or anything, but uh, I would just urge everybody listening uh, in Minneapolis to support the, the protests, um, support uh, the people there. Uh, we can throw up some links about um, like the bail fund that you've probably already seen going around. Uh, there are several other, uh, really important causes to support right now uh, as we struggle toward uh, justice and accountability for the murderers of uh, George Floyd. Um, I, w- I would urge everybody to sort of take a, a long view or a, a sympathetic view toward even um, the the rioting, uh, look at where that came from uh, and, and what it's attempting to produce, um, sorry to get very serious now uh you know it's just something everybody's thinking about um and uh so yeah um we are all very concerned and um worried about Minneapolis and we all want justice very badly uh and so solidarity with the uh protesters um no justice no peace uh etc I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rambling now. You can save me at any time.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, God forbid you should ramble, Harry. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to know how you can support, um, the uh ongoing efforts in minneapolis for racial justice and uh other other causes directly related to the uprisings that are occurring we'll be dropping links of course through social media and with this episode not exactly sure when this one's going to post hopefully it will not be quite as relevant or dire as it is right now but we definitely there definitely causes worth supporting into the future um of course the trial line is still accepting uh donations i believe and selling uh discount cards and um uh, producing a lot of great merch and resources for people to support them in in a weird time. Uh, and you can find all of those by going to trylon.org. Uh, we're going to try covering some more of their recommended films and we're going to try having more guests on as we go through uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and until we get our next episode out, um, thank you very much for listening to Try Love. You can find us on Twitter at Try Podcast. You can find the Trylon Cinema at uh, at Trial on Cinema. Uh, across all social media platforms you can find me, Jason Daphnis at Uh
0: I'm Harry, you can find me at Shitake Harry I've been Cody, you can find me
2: on Twitter at Cody underscore BH
1: thanks for listening everybody
2: he's dead little girl and we're all that's left we're all that's
0: left